Damaged Goods Podcast. Man, how's, how's the cold, the cold back there, man? You surviving? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm used to it now. The problem is that the cold front that's, that hit us was unexpected. So... Wait, wait, right before it's fucking December. How is that unexpected? Well, well because the 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 intensity of the cold oh. was unexpected. Like it being winter wasn't expected. Was expected, but like it was supposed to be like thirty something and forty something near fifty. <laughs> yeah. Before on the weekend, last weekend, before, and I go outside and I'm like, where's all this? Why is there frost everywhere? And it it's like every it took everybody by surprise because I guess. Half the city was out of town because they were they went somewhere for Christmas. Vacation status. Yeah, but like and like especially my neighborhood, which is like half like a tourist tourist area and like residential. So I'm walking around and I'm noticing, yo, nobody salted the sidewalks. <laughs> like no one did anything. Like no one was prepared for this at all. Because this weekend was supposed to be like 35, 40, you know, 45 degrees. And then I come outside. Cold. Still yeah, cold. but like it was frozen. Everything was frozen, and I got I had a meeting that day, so I got picked up for the meeting. <laughs> and when I got picked up, we went to Roxbury to this like a uh, Dominican spot. And when we get out the car, the sidewalk is an ice rink. These are just slipping, slipping. Yeah, on Tim's skating. Nobody, Tim's. nobody pr- was prepared. Yo, Nobody. That's some shit in Boston. You'll see some. You'll see some like thugged out dudes in top tens, like ice skating in the parking lot by accident, trying not to fall over and look cool at the same time. Yeah, it takes skill, the, man. What uh, do you, do you think? I mean, I I think this is. We all know the answer to this, but do you think like the um, the gnarly weather that we have back home in Boston has contributed to the essence of Dart Adams? Is like the essence of your your perspectives and approach and and shit like that. Nah. Not really, because I'm me all the time. But it's just that when it's cold outside, I there's different things that I do due to the weather. Because one thing I always you, do is you, I always... do it to the weather? Like combating the weather? No, I do due to to it. Like, oh, like I to it, yes. yes. Yeah, do, do to, to it, D-U-E. Because uh, yes, yes, I, I usually walk around. I usually walk around. And I always like this walk no places thing. and go stuff. And I can't do that now. Like I can only spend so much time outside in this weather. Because one, where am I going? Yeah. And two, why? Well, I mean, I, I was thinking, or I think I was meaning more like um, people from the East Coast, right? Boston, New York, and Philly. Yeah. Like these cold places, people always think we're a little more rough around the edges, a little more abrasive, a little more angry, which yeah. I think is oh, 100% I'm, I'm true. angry. I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry exactly. during the 65 so days of getting, the year. Getting specific to you, you are a dude from Boston, so you're naturally going to be like that. And then, you know, I think some people think, and whether this is true or not, like some of the elements of your persona as a writer and a journalist and a historian and such is kind of like that angry, the edgy fucking, I hate using that word edgy, but, you know, like an aggressive thing. And, yeah. I mean, obviously that's your personality too, but I'm just wondering... How much of that is also conditioning because of living in Boston? Most people. Oh, it's have definitely, that. it's definitely because of living in Boston. Yeah. It's because the climate I was raised in, like the Boston I live in, like the Boston we grew up in, yeah. and the Boston now, it's not really different. the same Boston. Yeah, it's like, very different. 
the combat zone doesn't exist yeah, yeah. you anymore. say that now people don't even uh know what yeah. that is yeah like there's a famous song a famous local song by um a band that doesn't get enough credit a boston funk outfit called um prince charles and the city beat band they made a song called the combat zone in 1984 you can find it on youtube if you haven't heard it but that song perfectly encompasses like the boston i grew up i grew up you, you know south end lower roxbury but that's also next to chinatown and going into larger roxbury and you know so yeah the combat and back zone then, for people who didn't uh who don't know is an area in Boston, pretty much it's Chinatown, uh, spilling out a little bit, but uh, it was traditionally a place where a lot of a lot of drug trafficking, a lot of prostitution, and all the sex shops, you know, the kind of peeping tom yeah. ones and all that. I mean, shit. I used to, I remember when I was a teenager and I went down there with some of my some of my friends, some of my South End homies, and they would, you know, they're out selling crack and shit. And I didn't sell mm -hmm. crack, but I'd hang out with them in in the streets right there, and it was just crazy to watch. You know what was going on we were kids and then some of the other dudes are coming up thinking that i must be like a undercover or a narc <laughs> asking them i'm right there they're like yo is he an undercover meanwhile i'm like a teenager i barely can get facial hair like you think i'm a fucking <laughs> undercover dude you know uh yeah. but it's yeah you don't see that shit i used to see i seen like naked hookers riding around in in, in um shopping carts in in Chinatown. Yeah. Well, crazy shit and it's uh there's now there's some big ass buildings they they definitely cleaned it up a lot they everything's cleaned up everything's glass everything looks like a apple store now it was like um, the, it was like 42nd street of boston like you know, if you yeah. compare it to new york city back yeah there. but like the climate of boston of course is that boston is a small city and it's a city of side streets and conflict is inevitable here like i used to tell people that okay in other cities there's like six degrees of separation here there's 1.5 and it was so it was to the point where conflict is so inevitable here it, it, you would waste time by saying, like, I don't like Hector to somebody. Yeah, yeah. You might as well. It, it's going to get to Hector yeah. so Hector's quick. Hector's going to find out in four days. Yeah. So you're going, you might as well just go directly to Hector like, Yo, fuck you, Hector, and fight him now. And that happens. You know? Yeah. So that's, like, that's what kind of fueled me. And, like, a lot of people don't understand that because they, they've never lived this. Yeah. They didn't grow up under these circumstances in this environment. Yeah. So, and, and and Boston, especially Roxbury, Lower Roxbury, South End, is a very abrasive, very fact, very fact of the matter, very don't hold your tongue <laughs> place. It's very confrontational. Mm. So, when I call somebody out on something, I realize very shortly afterwards that. People aren't used to that, and they don't like it because yeah. when you are in the industry, you have to play certain games, and you have to be diplomatic, and you can't piss certain people off because it's like burning a bridge because you're trying to oh, – yes. because every everybody's careerist, yeah. and I've never been I careerist. I love that word. I've never been careerist. I've always been like, what am I trying to get across? What truth do I have to get across? Or what – substance do i have to like what substantive thing do i have to get across like it's all about principles and everything else and a lot of people lose sight of that because they're so intent on moving up and, and moving upward moving up we're scared of failing we, we you know we yeah uh, we bite our tongue and and swallow our pride on so many occasions out of a fear of not gonna make it not gonna get this connection not gonna be accepted yeah. by you know and i mean yeah. i was a victim of that as an artist and at certain points i just said fuck it and it feels a lot better like yeah. kind of taking your path the the liberating fuck it path although it comes with 
yes a lot of ramifications dude it comes it comes with successful it comes with it comes with a lot a lot and i think i think you're one of the dudes um you know as a as a i should say man this very uh powerful true speaking knowledgeable abrasive voice that you're hearing here on damaged goods is a journalist writer historian bostonian dart adams so uh he's fucking a genius so i'm gonna try to keep up with him um but I, I think like uh, people that know you and know about your writing and stuff, Dart only not only is he, you know a writer and a journalist about shit, but also is is on the social media thing. He does his thing thing, and he's not afraid to get combative or not combative, I should say. But you like you said, you speak truth, you call out bullshit, which I love because that's an old school etho that is dissipating yeah. in this day. And so some people you know love it in in a in a in in you know reward you and commend you as I think they should, and some people like are offended and hurt. But you're a dude oh, that absolutely. goes out there and, and you, you know, if, for lack of a better word, you kind of put your, your shit on the line and, and we're yeah. talking careers here, right? Like uh, possibly yeah. blowing up bigger yeah. and getting relationships and shit. You put all that oh, on yeah. the line just to be oh. yourself and speak your shit. Every day, every day. I've, I've personally, I know people have told me that I didn't get certain things or I didn't get considered for certain uh, positions or writing pieces because I did this, this, this or said this and this and this to someone with a name and i'm like that's your problem not surprising though dude like that's that's the way that shit is man dude and and man dudes are like i don't want to say dudes are tattletales but words travel very fast oh yeah and and not just in entertainment man even in the streets and anything and so you know if you're not going with the grain or you know i mean dudes in any bit of power will exercise that power to to keep people out i mean i've been kept out of I've been kept off blogs and websites, off shows, out of things simply because of things like people not liking me because of something I said or somebody I'm cool with being uh, in so- my association with somebody else will hinder my abilities and shit. And uh, yeah. it's it's crazy, but that's that's something that you do, I think, with, um, I don't know, you take a, like, I don't want to say it's pride, but it almost is. Like, you wear that on your sleeve. You don't care about the bridges you burn or the bridges you're not even allowed well, to cross. Well, you can't. Well, you can't. Because you, I mean, apparently you can, because most motherfuckers do. I'd say ninety well, percent. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is that like I can't because you can't because you're ill. I, I can't. Yeah, I can't because if I do that, then I'm not gonna do anything. I'm never gonna you do come anything. From a different world, baby. I don't like to say different eras, but some of us come from different worlds. You come from a world where you just you're bred and born like that. You cannot. It's not in your genetic makeup to to bitch out like that. Yeah, I can't is like, okay, for instance, like when I write now, when I write, I pretty much tell everybody, let me do what I want. If you want to have an editor, assign me an editor, assign me an editor, but let me do what I want. Let me come up with my thing or what my column is and just assign me an editor and just let me go and we'll talk about rates. God bless you. And that's it. Yeah, because um, my last editor was Rob Kenner. And um, when I was a, for those who don't know, including myself. so Rob Kenner, he's a um, he's a journalist and an editor uh, in um, the rap and music journalism space. Uh, he's pretty well known, but like he was my last editor in Mass Appeal. I ran, um, I did a full year, well, almost a full year, January to December, um, thirty-two pieces in forty-eight weeks at Mass Appeal Knowledge Darts. I finally retired Knowledge Darts. Knowledge Damn. Darts started, Damn, yeah, dude, really? because you just yeah, because. Yeah, yeah, that was the thirty-second one. That was the last oh, one. Because, well, for this, for this, because the um, knowledge dart started in twenty fourteen with Kaz from um, 
he had uh he was working for translation which is steve stout's company he had a site called the stashed so i ran i had a column with the stashed called knowledge darts and it ran from eight eight editions from 2014 to 2015 and it ended i didn't know it was ending and it ended because i sent in um I sent in uh, the la- uh, another piece, and he and he and um I didn't hear back from about editing it or posting it. I'm like, yo, what's up with um the news knowledge darts? And he hits me, he's like, oh, I didn't know that we were still doing that. I'm like, dude, we never said it was going to have a limited run. He was like, yeah, well, we want to go in another direction and do like something different. Aggressive, kind of a passive aggressive way to terminate a. Uh, column or what have whatever well, you call it. Well, I, I, I saw I kind of saw it coming oh. because I knew that. So smart. Yeah, I knew it was I knew it was coming. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll tell you what, just run just run the last one, run the last one. I get paid for the last one. He's like, yeah, cool. All right. I was like, thanks for the opportunity. Whatever. He never posted the last one. So I take the last piece and I post it on um my medium, and I bill him for it, <laughs> and um. So that was the last piece to ran. And then I got replaced by um, Lisa. Um, was it Lisa Ann? That's the porn Le- star? I got pl- replaced by Lisa Ann. Lisa, Lisa Ann, Ann, the, the porn, porn star. star. Yep, he replaced me with Lisa Ann. Is she, she's writing? Well, she was. She was. She was writing, she was writing a column. And Her column replaced cause, mine. Cause what? Because the stash no longer exists. Oh, oh. So she he left the stash. Like, get DP'd and gangbang but she can write about music well no just what whatever she, she wanted to and she had retired from the porn industry when she was writing ah, right, right, right. so um of course, what a nice but she was still doing but she was still dancing and like doing and doing like um yeah. uh like uh stuff like calendars and things of that nature calendars. so yeah Quotes personal appearances yeah, yep yeah, yeah. personal appearances personal appearances yeah personal appearances so yeah but that's who i got replaced by and I'm just like, okay. Damn, so, so I was writing for, um, after that, I was writing for, oh, OK Player. So I started writing for OK Player, and I'm doing pieces for OK Player, and I don't like the way my pieces are being edited. Like, I'm writing certain words. How much How and, much of your, like, if you submitted a piece to somebody, out of 100% of it, how much of your original uh, piece turned in stays there? Is it 85%? 90, it depends on who my editor is. Um, if I have a good editor, between eighty-five to ninety-five. Oh, if I have a good more, editor, that's better than I thought. If I have a good editor, if I have a editor who's questionable, between eighty-five to ninety. But the pieces that they add in are not going to be me. And like, they just definitely don't sound like your voice. It doesn't sound like my voice. So um, I wrote pieces for uh, I wrote pieces for uh, OK Player, and there were definitely parts where people were DMing me and calling me like, "Yo, um, I know for a fact you didn't call Buster Rhymes the Dungeon Dragon," <laughs> and I was like, "I would never call him that a day in my life. I'd call him Trevor before I call him Bus a Bus." And I would never call him Trevor because I don't know him like That's that. Know that cats know your your writing style enough to to recognize things that are your traits and things that just seem not like yours. Well, the beauty of it is that I've been writing for twelve years and I write like I talk. So, 
basically the reason I can write so quick and do stuff so fast is because I write like I talk. Like, and when I do things where I break things down, I pretty much am doing it from the perspective of me being angry and mad <laughs> and trying to break things down to yeah. somebody in an academic in an academic setting while throwing in a motherfucker here and there. And throw are you already yeah? Are, are you already a goddamn mind? And look, motherfucker. So it's like people get it when they read it. They understand the tone and they understand who wrote it. And if they read something I wrote and it's like some, it breaks it, like it it, it breaks that that tone. And this is like no, you I know for a fact that your editor wrote this. Like I wrote a piece about um New Jack City, um that the the um Barry Cooper. The man who wrote the screenplay for New Jack City was like, yo, this is dope. Um, but at the end, there was a line that said something about rock a bye to your innocence. And I was like, and it's people like, yo, you didn't write that. I was like, hell no, I didn't write that. I was like, the editor wrote that. And I was I was so pissed off about that. And pretty much the reason why I didn't write for OK Player anymore is because the last piece I wrote about um I wrote a 25th anniversary piece about Future Without a Past, which is um, the first, the debut album from um, Leaders of the New School. And it was edited in a way where certain things that I wrote were replaced and the uh, and the editor put in their version of what, it would, what they would write oh. to the point where people were like, yo, I know for a fact you didn't write that. And I, that was the final straw for me and OK Player. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta it's gotta be a hard one to swallow too when you're seeing words associated with your name, but they're not your words. And and I, I mean, that's just a personal gripe most people have in in yeah. just normal life, let alone their profession and yeah. shit. And yeah. you know what's wild about Dart is, you know, Dart's written for I don't know so many people, and you'll yeah. you'll be writing for a, a a big name like like Mass Appeal or whoever, and then you'll also be going at or at least what I see is going at like another big. Um, Am I allowed to drop names, Dart? Is that cool? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. like you I'm gonna do it to like uh, hip hop DX or Complex, and I'm not knocking none of these people or, or bigging up nobody. I'm just speaking in in observance over here. You know, you rarely will find somebody who who is who is writing or or contributing to one of these entities speaking out directly against some of the other ones, even though they're technically all in competition. It would just be generally bad business, like bad political move to do that, right? Because you're, you're almost like severing ties with these other guys that you could have had a relationship with. Where Dart does it, not, not to start shit, but to call out what he feels, inaccuracies, uh, whether it's mm. bullshit or whatever it is. You know, and, and calling out shit used to be, more of a part of hip-hop right it wasn't yeah. hating and it wasn't always about hating on um, like a an artist or somebody all together it's more like something they did a business move they made a business practice they're continuing to do things like that and it was like checks and balances i thought that existed Absolutely. in hip-hop that don't now and uh it's, it's like a tr it's a change things that you used to be commended and rewarded for you're chastised for and it's completely the inverse the other way around and, yeah, uh, no. it's it's I don't know it's it's a, it's I think it's a more of a difficult concept for people to grasp that have been into hip hop for a longer period of time because you've seen both of these things you know you've seen the, yeah. the, the changes and something I I was I wanted to talk to Dart about on this on this podcast episode I, this is how smart this motherfucker is I'm, I'm on the interwebs today looking on fucking Twitter and this dude Dart is is already tweeting about this thing I wanted to touch on which just circles back to what we were just saying about 
the almost like a not like a change or a progression of things, but what appears to be like a, a 180 degree turn or an inverse of of of, a, of ethos and, and values in, in hip hop. And this is this thing yeah. that Dart and I were both thinking about talking about. And apparently, you wrote a piece about it. We should plug that. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've actually the first piece yeah. I wrote about it was probably in 2011 when I was talking about um how the voice the voice of rap changed back in the days when we were coming up when you were a rapper or an mc you talked about things from what we called the superhero perspective where it was all ego mm -hmm. it was the alpha it was mm -hmm. the alpha driven thing you either rapped about how dope you were how nobody could fuck with you about how many women you had about what your possessions or what you hoped to have. Yeah. A lot of it was aspirational. Early on when rap, it was things were yeah. aspirational because motherfuckers were rapping about having a space antenna at the back of the car. And we and we know for rap, know for a reason, motherfucker, you live in the Bronx and you probably yeah. and you're 16 and you take the bus, you know? <laughs> so when you rap about having a fresh uh, space antenna at the back of the car, but you rap about um, being in a deaf OJ with a whole bunch of girls when you just came from the club, like we know that was your existence. Or you rapping about having like a solid gold something, and it's like we know for a fact you don't have that, yeah. but it's aspirational. But then it got to a point where in the 80s, motherfuckers was rapping about shit they had. You know what I'm saying? And then in the 90s, people were rapping about luxury items that they didn't have or they wanted. It was aspirational. But then years later, they were rapping about the rich shit that they had. Yeah. But the voice was always like back in the days there was mystique. Mm. And there was there was there was an aura. Rock him, we didn't see Rock him all the time. Yeah. The media didn't cover Rock him all the time. You had to read certain magazines just to see heard, a quote like from the man. folklore about rappers yeah. back in the 80s and yeah. 90s stories yeah. that got passed. Yeah. There were no pictures. There weren't really pictures. Like you had to find like if you bought vinyl back in the days because rap was uh, single based between 1979 and I say about 1986. Ain't no for the most part. Numbers like that. Ain't nobody gonna hit you with yeah. days like that. So and for a lot uh, for a lot of time there weren't picture covers on singles. There were just fucking white labels. So we didn't really know what rappers looked like all the time. And if we did get like a flyer. It was like mimeographed and it was a horrible black and white picture, you know, and we couldn't really tell what the person looked like. And if we did see him, it was like in a movie for a hot second, like uh, Cool Mo D or Dougie Fresh. Or if you had and back in the days, no one had cable. So if you did go to someone's house and you managed to go to BTC, they had BT or MTV, you got to see what a rapper looked like in a video or you had to buy um, Word Up or Yo or rap masters, you know, and then black beat, and then later on you got yo and fresh, and then you got like the source and rap pages in like 90, 91, 92. So for the most part, what I'm saying is rap journalism didn't really exist. And we didn't get coverage for rappers. We didn't see them in magazines, barely. I, like I, I'm t telling you, I remember when they did a piece on rap in two pages in ebony and there were full color pictures it was the first time i saw a full color picture of dana dane oh man and i had like um cinderella dana dane that's the joint i had that on cassette the album but, way later. but 
Yeah, but this okay. So you had the cassette, right? You remember how small the pictures, the multiple pictures of Dana Dane were? Oh no, I had like a dubbed cassette because I'm oh, okay, younger, okay. so I got it from my older homie's brother. Okay, so <laughs> my big brother bought the cassette from um Skippy White's, which was down the street from Classic, me on Mass Ave. And the, the pictures of Dana Dane were so tiny; there were multiple of them. You didn't know what Dana Dane looked like, even though you had the album, the the cassette. Okay, you could have the vinyl and still not have a great idea of what Dana Dane looked like. So we didn't know what rappers looked like. Now you, we fast forward to now, and the voice of rap changed largely because we have real time social media, and we have a generation of people that have grown up with it and are used to sharing their feelings and talking about things and so that whole mystique thing is gone yeah and when that happens so when that happens it breaks down the old voice that we're used to and like now a bunch of heads just completely fucked up the game and said like they don't understand how how much they fucked it up by saying things like uh it went from drug dealer rap yeah to drug user rap and and let me well let me uh I don't actually. I don't want to cut you off. Continue, continue, continue. Okay. So here's the problem. Here's here's the problem with this, right? When things continue, there's a there's a thing called the continuum. When things continue and they go along a path, they have to diverge. Things have to switch. There has to be an inverse. There has to be a flip side. It can't be one thing forever. Yeah, you think it's one way, but it's the other way. Swinging, Yes, the pendulum swings. So if you thought that you were only going to hear from this, the alpha mm. um, voice, the dealer voice, the, the hustler voice, and not hear the other side, when these people, the, when you're committing all these acts, you're not going to get the other side. So you're making drug dealer music for 15 years. At some point, you're going to get to the music of the customer and, or the and, addict and what, what or the darts- person... Oh, my fault, brother. Or the person who's impacted by the hustler. Okay, go ahead. And so, so what Dart is 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 talking about here is this this concept that I'm, I'm hearing people talk about. You see it on the internet. Um, like like Dart was speaking, right? The the like previous fifteen something years of of rap music, right? When you hear about drugs and music, it's it's about hustling. It's about selling drugs and, and coming up. That's what you know, family and friends did uh, uh, that I know, and that's for everybody. And, and then also cats who rap, like a lot of dudes that hustle, a lot of dudes that did dirt and shit like that. And there's this concept that people are discussing now. It's basically exemplifying the, the clash of eras, right? The, the, the generational gap. Drug dealer rap, drug user rap, right? And uh, what, you got some snacks, thought? Yeah, but... What, what kind of snacks you got? Oh, I was just, um, this is orange, banana, strawberry. Oh, a little Hugo. A little Hugo. Yeah. Yeah. So you got this this generational gap. This this clash of errors, right? Uh, back in the day, yeah, dudes rapped about selling all kinds of drugs, and dudes were doing that, you know. Uh, and now you you still have that, but you also have all this younger generation, Molly Parker said, Mo, that's the hook. And they're not talking about selling it; they're talking about using it. Using drugs is very, uh, very much accepted now in hip hop. Where well, using drugs other than smoking weed and drinking back in the day. You were a fiend if you did any other drug because dudes were selling drugs to fiends, right? And I was a crazy dude. Like, I'm eating mushrooms and acid when we were little, and my hood friends thought I was a wild dude. 
But you know, if you you know all the other drugs, that shit is fucking uh, you're a fiend, right? But now yeah. dudes are drinking lean, and you know, newsflash if you don't know, and I drank my share of lean a long time ago. Lean is fucking is codeine, it's heroin, dude. It's an opiate, and dudes are popping Percocet. Yo, newsflash, that's fucking heroin, dog. That's how kids started doing oxycodone into heroin in Boston in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So drug using rap is very popular, right? Dudes are doing all kinds of drugs, right? Yeah, but here's my, but I maintain this. Cats were using drugs when they were doing the yeah, dealer. Wu Tang, Wu Tang, they. If you listen to Cuban Link and, and Iron Man, they're doing drugs. They're only, they're doing. Yeah. blow. I don't know what other drugs, but they're doing blow while they're in there. I mean, you can't be at the top selling mad drugs and never dabble once in a while with certain things. Yeah. You know. I mean, I mean, okay, for See, perfect example. Fucking crack. Yes, yeah, but perfect example, right? Um. Uh oh, MC Shan. MC Shan made a song called um, Jane Stopped This Crazy Thing. Then he made a song called um, he made a whole bunch of songs about like uh, drugs and shit like that. But he was doing crack. He was he was a crack mm-hmm. user at Yo, the I time. Mean, dude, not, like fucking Wu Tang and, and, and Mob Deep and not they were smoking like what they call Uwis and shit. You know, like lace blunts, dust blunts, cocaine blunts. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, it was insane because. A lot of cats are talking about, oh, like, we didn't rap yeah, about yeah. doing drugs. Like, yes, you did. Yeah. Like, you did. It's just that, like, people just overlook it now because it doesn't fit the, the narrative. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, when I was coming up, like, in the late 90s, cats were rapping in the underground. They were rapping about doing all type of drugs. Yeah, Cage I mean, was like, rapping yeah, about yeah, doing all Cage type of drugs. And, and, and Eminem, before he even blew up, like, these dudes are yeah. talking about all he was talking about pills. Drugs. Pills and ecstasy and dust and... Tame one, uh, yeah. What's his name? What's the other dude? uh, Yeah, the Leak Brothers. Tame one from fucking Artifacts. Tame one did an entire album with Cage about PCP. Yeah, Angel Dust. They called the Leak Brothers, and that's fucking slang for dust. If you don't know, I mean, uh, who else? Shaheem, you know, mad dudes. like always dusted out. And uh, I, the 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 point I wanted to like touch on with you about this this fucking conversation that people have about, you know, like, and one of my good friends who's was in the music game and he was you know an MC and shit and he said some shit on Facebook uh, and you know all these comments which I chose not to participate in smartly mm-hmm. uh, was yeah. you know basically taking the the side of his era our era of like yo back in the day it was like this hustle rap now it's all this like drug dealer rap. I can't get down or user rap I can't get down and the question I have and I don't have an answer I don't really have a side on this mm-hmm. and you know you and I can just discuss this is when people talk about it from his perspective that he was that I, I hear a lot for cats in my era, it's as if the drug dealer side is better than the drug user. And this is, and I'm not saying one or the other. I'm not taking a side here. Mm. I'm just, I'm, I'm offering up this question because I truly don't know which one is better. Are you taking pride in selling drugs in your own community and in friends and family going down the tubes? Because I've seen that with my friends and family and and my friends' families. Or are you are you taking pride in using the drugs? Now, I'm not saying anybody should use drugs and shit, but to a degree. It's it's a it's a crime that hurts themselves. Obviously, you could be a fucking crackhead and steal somebody's TV and sell it for money, and I've seen that happen, and that sucks. That so that does affect other people, but for the most part, the drug use really affects you. Where if you're drug dealing, you know you're affecting a lot of other people. I get it. People got mouths to feed and limited opportunity, and also there's that whole theory. Well, if they ain't gonna get it from me, they'll get it from someone else. Thing, mm-hmm. um, but 
I mean, which one's better? Is it better to maybe the person's, these kids are growing up hearing that? And because the worry is the kids, man, the kids are going to want to like do the drugs. Well, do you want the kids to do the drugs? Or do you want the kids to sell the drugs? Because you could do some of these drugs and maybe not end up in jail. Your health might be shitty, but you might not end up ever having to shoot a gun or go serve, you know, time for fucking, you know, distribute, intense to distribute or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Which one is better? You know? Uh, I don't think there's a better. I just think that there's just different perspectives. Like, like here's the thing. We grew up in an era where, just like any other previous era, when you live in the inner city, you have, a lot of times, you have limited opportunity for advancement if it's not coming through education or if you don't have equal opportunity. Or if you don't have or you have limited advantages or what have you. So that means that you're going to do a legal activity in order to, you know, make money. And a lot of times, like if you know anything about Freakonomics, you know, the economics doesn't always shake out. But it's it's, a lot of times it has to deal with quick money, uh, exploiting whatever you can. And it's a lot of young people without expenses, with a shitload of money, you know? And it's like, all right, so you sell drugs. Your only perspective is, I'm selling these drugs off, I have to make re-up, sell these drugs off, make re-up, sell these drugs off, make re-up. Now, that's just capitalism. But if you also think about it from the perspective of um, when you're a kid and you're growing up, you can never look broke. It's a fucking sin, you know, to look broke or, or look like you don't have certain things. Yeah, so that's another on. thing You'll never, you get clowned so, on. It's a weird concept to see six kids all from the same income bracket. Yes. All, like some of them clowning the other. And For being broke. all going back to the same kind of household and shit. You know, it's funny. They're all and broke. And that, but that's just, how, that's just how society is. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a fucking side effect of... of um, of being in this system yeah, and the crazy the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to tell people all the time, I was like, there was nothing weirder than kids cracking on each other for being broke when they were all fucking broke. Yeah. Like, uh, you look like you shop at Morgie's and I yeah. know for a fact, your yeah. family was just there. Yeah. Morgie's is Morgan Memorial, which is, uh, <clears throat> which is, um, Goodwill in Roxbury. So we called it Morgie's, but kids would crack on each other. Like you look like you shop yeah. at Morgie's. And these kids were just as broke as you yeah. were. Yeah. Their p- families were just as bad off as you were. But you couldn't appear broke. So yeah. you could steal. You could yeah, do whatever you had to. Yeah. Boost. To look fly. Yeah. So and, you... When everybody fun, knows you're broke. Yeah. Dude, I mean, there's, there was people in, in Charlestown and in South Boston that lived in the projects. You know, Irish people. They would... F- they would feel like as if they weren't poor because they got clothes from like Jordan Marsh or Filings Basement, but they were buying them from somebody who boosted them there. So you're, yeah. you're paying very little for these, which also Filings Basement and Jordan Marsh were not like the fucking highest of highs at all. And you, you're still living in Section 8 housing and shit, but you know, you think you're a little, you better because you bought this shit, but someone jacked it for you to even purchase that shit, you know? It's, it's yeah. funny, man. So, so when you look at that system and look at that pressure, it fuels you to like, yo, I'm going to sell these drugs or whatever. Because you don't look at it past again. You don't look at it the past. 
I'm just trying to make this re-up. I'm just trying to make this money. I'm just trying to get this up. So you're not thinking about how you're affecting your fucking neighborhood or your community. It doesn't matter to you because for the most part, you've been around people that didn't live past a certain age anyway to see the change. Yeah. Like yeah. I grew up, I have a whole, my whole, when I look at my whole like group of friends and stuff like that, I have some motherfuckers still around. Yeah. Like half of them died off of like a good 25% of them probably went to jail. And if the ones that are still around, they either moved out of Boston or they're still around and I see them, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, Oh shit, you're still here. Like you survived from my era. Later errors aren't, you know, I think the percentage might be better. But it depends on what yeah, neighborhood you're, you're from you're and little, where. A little older than me, and and uh, like my era just came came a little after the crazy craziness. Like the, yeah. the early, the, obviously the late '80s and the early to mid '90s in Boston was the craziest. But we yeah. were all, I was like very it, young. Um, it was death. It was death central. Yeah, when I, I was mean, coming up. Yeah, people don't know is like um, there was this thing that happened in Boston called the Boston Miracle, which basically they cleaned up the streets to a pretty crazy degree. I mean, because in Boston you had you had all these street gangs banging, and then you had like an Irish mob war, and, and, and you had the Italian mafia. You had a lot of different crime things going yeah. on. And uh, the Boston Miracle was such a success that I believe that dude went to, did he go to Chicago or he went to yeah. New York? He went to but, the, the, the chief of police, and they took the model they did to Boston to other cities because they cleaned up. Yeah, but it did. didn't work. Well, it didn't last long. It didn't long, work. It didn't last long because basically when those dudes came out of jail, they clicked up with the younger new kids. And mm-hmm. uh, re- reignited the basically, shit. basically what happened with the supposed Boston miracle was pretty simple. Um, Boston, small city, small metro area compared to other major cities, but what it was was that it's so small and so connected that basically everybody got caught and went to jail. Yeah. Okay. It's easy to catch motherfuckers. Yeah. Rattle yeah. Ball up yeah. Smoke. Especially, especially since it was like everybody fucked with everybody else, was killing everybody else in a in a confined space. Mm-hmm. So everybody built cases against everybody because everybody was shooting everybody because Boston was just like, okay. Uh, here's the thing, Boston. When I was coming up, we could barely stay over, I uh, say half a million people. So like we hovered around 525k people, which is insane. Because Boston was had so many like unfilled areas, and there was so much, so many. They called especially them parcels back then. Especially Roxbury, yeah, it was was very a uh, lot of lots, empty burn. Yeah, a lot of lots. lots. Yeah, yeah. So they called buildings. them. So they called them parcels. Land that was unbuilt on that no one bought, or you could buy, but you no one developed. So they called them parcels. And parcels is a parcel thirty-seven, parcel twenty-four, parcel twenty-two. All these things were untouched my entire childhood. Until like we got until the nine, late nineties and yeah, the zero, the two thousands, yeah, yeah, and everything got bought up, and then everything got built on, and now there are high rises in my neighborhood, which they never were. But the thing is, but the point I'm making is that back in the day, it was very easy to build cases against everybody when they were killing everybody when there was a bunch of gangs, and they pretty much swept everybody. Everybody else died. They threw everybody else in jail for football yeah. numbers, yeah. and magically, there's a Boston miracle. Because now you, what you have is the people that were still around, like Rodney Daly, who did Gang Peace, did the street workers. Yeah. You had um, uh, you had Almighty RSO and the and the Wise Guys and and the Wise Guys Initiative, which was huge, um, which w- went into every hood and got everybody to really stop killing each other because there was no point anymore. Like 
like when I was coming up, there were so many gangs. Oh, dude! That every every, every other or a couple blocks had their own gang. That's what we don't there was a gang. Boston. Bloods and Crips and shit don't persist in Boston. Uh, gangs are or, or either by their project or by like a certain number yeah. of blocks. And so, yeah. so everybody, there's so many gangs. And there were like the it was so gang infested. It was hilarious because it got to the point where um, and this is funny, um, in my neighborhood. There were gangs that had like month months of runs because they got ate up by other gangs. Like um, there was a gang in my neighborhood, the Redskins. The Redskins lasted two months because they got stomped out by the um South End Hornets, and so they either got absorbed into the Hornets or they quit doing it altogether. And back in the days, you know, um, if you wanted to be a gang, you had to adopt either a, a college. Yeah. NHL, NBA, or NFL franchise and logo and get all their gear that to be the, a gang. the Boston thing uh, it, for people who, in, in Boston, the gangs and the, and the neighborhood gangs and shit will, would rock a certain sports team, whether professional colleges, shit. And if yeah. you actually ever had, especially like, like I never had a starter jacket growing up and it was probably a good thing. Uh, but, <laughs> oh yeah! If you you know you would rock it. It was mainly a starter gear was like the top tier of it. But you would yes. get the sports team shits, the the hats, and the the starters were the first snapbacks back in the day. But we didn't call them snapbacks. And dudes would clown if you didn't have them fitted. But anyway, oh yeah, and yeah. it would be the starter jackets of these teams. And you better never have that fucking oh, yeah. team shit on, and you get jacked. Or if you had a team shit on that that a gang in this area didn't like, you would get jacked. I mean, it was yeah. like you know parents didn't buy their kids uh, starter yeah. jackets. If they didn't want him to get fucking robbed, you yeah. I mean, you get robbed, you'd be a ten-year-old, and some eighteen-year-olds would take that shit off of you. you know? Yeah, it was crazy. And the crazy thing was that if you fucked up and went to Downtown Crossing, oh, dude, and that's where all the gangs would be. Conglomerate or no? What? Congregate. Congregate. Yeah, yeah, because they they all used to go to um corner mall, and there was the photo booth, and you would look at the photo the photo wall at the um corner mall. And it would be gangs sending messages to each other, like they kill somebody, um, one of yours is down or whatever. And you would just see the, the you could trace the line of gang beefs by just looking at that photo wall. And this is all the gangs communicating to each other. And in Boston, the gangs were so deep and it was so crazy. Uh, here's the thing. I believe there was a story where the Heat Street, where the Heat Street Heat. Uh, wanted to be the Heat, but there were two other gangs that wanted to be the Heat. This is back, and you got to remember, there were expansion teams. So when the new gear was coming out, they pretty much had a like a fight, a three-way fight, and Heat Street won. So they ended up they won the right to be to the, heat. the Heat, and <laughs> to the rock is, the Heat gear. In, in Boston, you could tell where people were from based on like their hat or their shit. Like the yeah. they would adopt sports teams. Maybe the initial of the team that was on the hat mm-hmm. or whatever, or the letter yeah. on the hat signified that their their neighborhood like yeah, Houston Astros had might be like you know Humboldt or the Raiders at the time or, or you yeah, Kansas yeah. City dudes of rock Minnesota Twin City hat TC things yeah. like that nature Vamp Hill Vamp Hill was the Kings so they had um Los Angeles Kings gear and when um Run DMC's down with the King came out they played it 24 hours a day in Vamp Hill so and like um the, but here's the funny part right the Patriots were so trash. Oh God, <laughs> this, is pre, was, this is pre. This is pre. Bledsoe too. So yeah, yeah. Extra trash. No, no gang 
ever wore Patriots gear because they lost all the time. And also to keep it funky, uh, I mean, I like the old Pats logo in some like in retrospect now, but yeah, back then comparing it was to ugly. Lot, it looked soft. Compared, it looked soft as shit. So whack we back in the like days. A fucking white-haired fucking uh, British revolutionary cornball <laughs> guy on shit. You look corny as hell. Yeah, yeah. So like, it was funny because like the only people you saw wearing like Patriots, Patriot, Pat Patriots gear were like older people. Mm. Who like you know still hanging on to like the yeah. 1985 uh, Super Bowl, you know shit are. like that. Yeah, like your parents shit. But like um, and then uh, of course there was no nobody rocked the Celtics because it was two things. It was because um, it was the Celtics and something had to be you know something had to be something you could rock without universal. having trouble. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. had to be universal, so they let the Celtics go. But also it was um, it was weird because right after um. The 92-93 season is the last year that Reggie Lewis played because he collapsed. Yeah. yeah, he collapsed and um on the court in um the playoffs in um 93. But what's nuts is that um they released uh NBA Jam later on and he's on it at first. So he's on NBA Jam in the arcade. But when not, they released the it Super for Nintendo version, huh? Yes. So yeah. when they released it for home consoles, they he's not on it because he had passed away, and a lot of people felt the type of way about that. Yeah. Because the thing was, he wasn't covered by the um the NBA um association anymore because he was no longer living, so you couldn't have his likeness in the game. Oh, legally. Oh. oh. You legally his likeness couldn't be in the game. Mm. So you know that was just a weird thing, but yeah, man. Um. The whole fucking gang thing and and just like beef back in the days was just, it was just really weird. But yeah, going back to your point about like the, life and 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 <laughs> just living and 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 fucking like the voice of rap and how we uh, present it nowadays, cats are more open about I do drugs, I do opiates and stuff like that. Back in the days, cats were doing the shit. But yeah, just not talking about it because you would have been. Just not talking about also, it. Also, you would have been perceived as weak. And yeah. back, like you were saying, the alpha male persona, the fucking tough guy thing, weakness was, uh, I mean, like, it was the worst. And dudes smell yeah. that shit out. So you got to hide that shit, you know? But um, here's the, but here's the fucking, but absolutely, but here's the fucking, um, here's the hypocrisy in that. Um, Eminem and DMX and a bunch of other rappers of that era mm-hmm. were so fucking emo. Yeah. Without anybody calling them emo. I mean, Ghostface was extremely emo. And, and I well, love... he well he just had a, something called the crying style. Yeah. Versus actually he, being emo. But he would also talk about things like girls playing him and shit not, you know, like shit that other dudes didn't want to rap about. But he did it. Yeah. Such an, also, he's a huge dude. He's 6'6". Six, six, yeah. And he's a fucking G. So, like, he could say that shit and then be like, what? You know, so... Yeah, but like the way like DMX would rap about his fuck would do rap about his grandma. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and cry on stage. Yeah, you know what I'm saying about being abandoned as abandoned as a child, and nobody would say shit. But also, I, yeah, I think it goes to him also being such a thorough dude that dudes were like shit. You know, like can't say yeah. shit to this motherfucker. Yeah, but fucking Eminem's Eminem's rapping about his relationship with his mom. But do you think, know what I'm saying? Do you think? And I'm not knocking him for this because I am fucking. I think, yep, yeah, I am white too. Uh, like he, him being white was he was able to do that differently, you know? Like, 
I think I think it had more. All, I think it had more to do with the fact that he came from the world of battle rap, where people would go at you. Yeah, so you for need things. to go at yourself first before and they yes. at you. Yes, so he so went at himself first, so nobody had anything yeah. to say about him. Yeah. So Dude, I think that's, that that's one of the things. Also, that, life hack for listeners: do that all the time. Like I do that all the time on my podcast, in my life, in my writing, just because. Like, fuck, then you can't shit on me because I know what sucks about me and I'm letting you know and there's no, like, weakness in me. I think when people sense that you're scared about some element about you or nervous or trying to conceal something, they yeah. try to get in there and get that. So well, where you shit on your I, I absolutely agree with that. Like, when I write, I just fucking tell the truth about myself and what I'm doing because, um, what's, oh, okay, perfect example. I loved watching, we had this discussion before years ago. So one of my favorite things to ever watch is um, Dinner for Five. It was oh, a TV yeah. show that used to come on. Um, yeah, was it was a TV IFC show. Sundance? Yeah, uh, yes, it was IFC Sundance, and um, they used to talk actors. Yeah, five about different people. Five different people. The actors used to talk about the craft and their experiences, and they share a meal. While eating and, supper. Yes, and it was it was brilliant. But one time they had a discussion, and they were talking about. When you, as an actor, play yourself and you guest appear on a television show or in a film, when you try to make yourself look like you're the shit or you're the man, it doesn't play well. <laughs> yeah. Like um, uh, Frank Sinatra Jr., it's like he played himself and people were kissing his ring and, call and acting like he was the greatest guy ever. And it was like he looked like a dick versus... When um they were talking about when uh David Duchovny was on um the Larry Sanders show, and he played himself, but he played a completely different version of himself. And, that's and then they were talking, yeah, awesome. and they were talking, yeah, and they were talking about how um when other people saw that, they were like, shit. Now when I go on the show and I play myself, I have to make fun of myself, because if I do it that way. I'm going to look like a dick, like I have something to hide. Like, what the fuck is the matter with him? So when the guys are talking about anytime I appeared on the show as myself, there was a running gag or I was always made to look like, you know, somebody else or somebody who isn't as cool as I'm, I'm supposed to be. And what I do is that I always tell the truth about what's going on with me. Like I wrote the piece about um about Combat Jack uh, and yeah. I like because. Yeah, but the thing That's is that I outlined in the Combat Jack show, in the Combat in the Combat Jack piece, I never got to meet him because I fucked up. Because I'm like the Boston guy, right? And there's a saying that power doesn't travel. And there's one thing that when you grow up in Boston, you're always told you have to go to New York, you have to go to New York, but New Yorkers yeah. ever have to come here. Oh, so, so I was always like, well, you know what I'm saying? If I go to New York, it's going to have to be a big deal or it's going to have to be something like big. I'm not going to force myself to go to New York every time because if that's the case, I'm always going to go to New York. And I felt like I had all the time in the world to go to New York and, and meet him because we had so many mutual friends. We yeah. had so many conversations with people like I was due to go to the Combat Jack show, but I didn't want to go to the Combat Jack show is like uh, uh Anything other than somebody who deserves to be on the show on the yeah. same level as the guests that they have. The right, the right terms are important. The right terms. Like and me putting that off, putting that off, putting that off, I fucked up. 
And the man passed away before I ever got mm. my chance to meet him the way I wanted to. Yeah. Because I fucked up and I made that mistake. And I owned up to it. And a lot of people would have written a piece about him and talked about their relationship and how yeah. they were so cool and I everything like that. brag about their relationship yeah. and how close they were. You know? Yeah. But like I'm like, yeah, we knew each other for 12 years, but I never met the man because I'm on this bullshit. And th that's what I think more writers need to do. Yeah. They need to like let people in. like Because people will read your shit if they think you're on the level and I'm not the guy with the fucking brilliant prose, I'm not, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, I read great writers. I know what great writers look like. I mean, read like, or, or how they, or how they write. And I know when they have it, they've commanded words. The reason why people read what I write is because I read, I write like I speak and I'm pretty plain with it. And I found a style that worked because when I was a kid, I was reading all these brilliant writers. Yeah, I was reading all these brilliant writers, and I was like, I can't write that well. I can't write like they do. I don't. I can't command prose like they can. But my passion and my intensity and in what I'm talking about, people can follow. And I found um, there was a book that wasn't written extremely well. Like I'm not saying like it wasn't written well, but I'm saying like the way the style in which it was written was pretty matter of fact and flat. And it just read like someone who's speaking to you. Yeah. And that book was by Puri Thomas. It was called Downey's Mean Streets. And that book unlocked everything for me. Well, I think what you're, you're kind of talking about is you're finding your, your strengths in, in learning to play to them rather than trying to create strengths you see in others. And yes. I, I think with, I, th I mean, with, you see it with music, right? Like people look at some of their favorite artists growing up, or we're going to talk about rap specifically. They're looking at their favorite MCs. But you might not possess the same storytelling ability as Nas or the, the ability to spit a crazy, unique flow over every different beat, like, like Jay, or, or the, uh, the, the, what do you call it, the animated charisma of like Busta Rhymes or whatever. you got to find out what you've got to bring to the table. Yes. With, I think with writing, it's even harder um, because we read all these, like, it doesn't matter what you're reading, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Um, I think this applies more to, to fiction. But, it, you know, you read these, these, these books and you, you hear these voices and, um, you know, you, you look at yourself like, how could I put this down? I've got these things to say, but I can't be as poetic as this person or as eloquent, you know, eloquent as, as William S. Burroughs or as poetic as, you know, Upton Sinclair or as, as like, I don't know, short to the point, but yet so fucking illuminating as like Baldwin or whatever, whoever it is. So like, when yeah. I, I mean, I read a lot, my damn self, and, and uh, reading like Bukowski for me. Oh, um, yeah. Was was great because well for a few things one like the the subject matter resonated more with me but he wrote like I I and I I would later go and like not ever in person watch him but like on the internet watch you know videos of him reading his shit at these readings and he yeah. reads he talks like he reads and and that's like you're saying like that it's a comforting thing as a reader because uh, it doesn't make you feel too challenged and overwhelmed by the material. Some people don't read things because they think it's over their head or it's too dense yeah. or whatever, right? But it also, there's no pretentiousness in there. And it's exactly. still eloquent. I mean, the, the, the most important thing I think about writing is, is editing, is, is less is more. I was saying the most with the least. Like the dopest MCs, Jay or Nas or, 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 or even Pac, could say 
so much in two bars that it would take a dude a whole song. And like, or half a bar could be like the sickest fucking thing you could ever think of. Like, such a fucking poetic like thing for life, an element for life in, in yeah. very little. And I think with writing, that's an important thing. And reading dudes like Mukowski, dudes that like the gentleman you reference, who I don't know, um, that straightforward, almost like they're speaking thing. It doesn't mean it's not good writing. I mean, it could or could not be, but if it's eloquent and poetic, if it punches, if it hits you hard, if it reaches your gut, your soul, and that's the way I kind of write. I try to write like I speak. And I think for you and for anybody else, it, you, you got to find your voice, right? And we go through uh. trial and error, and a lot of MCs got to find their voice. And you listen to music, and you can tell who's found their voice. Sometimes they find it an album or two later. Sometimes you know right off the rip, this dude does not have a voice. He's taken a model, yeah. a blueprint from another artist. He just jumped in the fucking little blueprint machine, and he's good. He doesn't have to find his voice because he's um, he's weak. He's a puppet. Yeah, like um, <clears throat> by the same token, right? So you know when somebody's figured it out. Yeah. Like, all right, perfect example. People always pit Biggie and Nas, I mean, not Biggie, Biggie and Pac against each other. Yeah. And I'm like, um, okay, people say Big is more of a lyricist yeah. than Pac is. More I'm like, rapper and shit. Yeah, yes, yeah. he's more technical, he's more lyrical, mm. his writing is more nuanced, but you can go to any corner of the world Dog. where there are oppressed people Dog. and you will find... Tupac pictures, you will find Tupac murals. They know Pac's lyrics Bro. backwards and forwards, even if they don't speak English. Some Dog. people learned English because of him to understand Tupac. Yo, like like ten years ago, I went back uh, to Nevis, which is the West Indian island I grew up on before I moved mm -hmm. to America. I went back to yeah. Nevis, and I'm chilling. I'm walking um, on the beach past this dude, uh, a friend of ours, family's. Uh, he had like a little shack bar type thing, and I'm walking just on the beach. And I'm younger, and I got a bunch of little tattoos here and there, right? And I have this one tattoo that I got very young. It just says, one love, one life, right? The mantra, obviously, more popularized by the Bob Marley song, right? I'm mm -hmm. in the Caribbean, whatever. This fucking dude who I don't know, some local Navishan, sees my tattoo, and he, like, you know, he gives me some props on it, and then he shows, he points to his tattoo, and it says, all eyes on me. And and he's, he's, he's like, yo, this is, like, yeah, this is our Bob Marley down here. Like, you know, like, you, like I mean, with the Bob Marley's... Bob Marley, but their American musician that they hold that dear is is Pac. Uh, what's yeah. his name? Kanan? Kanan? I always pronounce that dude's name wrong. Is that what? How you say it? Kanan? Yeah, Kanan. Okay, so he has a lyric in one of his songs, and uh, I'm probably gonna maybe like misquote it. So pardon me, but he says, "Yeah, in uh, Somalia we love B.I.G., but Pac is the real H.N.I.C." And it just speaks to your point that like. Around the world, dude, that dude is like, he's like a, a figure that's touched mad people more than just the hip-hop fan who respects, like, a lyrical, technical skill. Yes. So, that's the, so, Pac has reached people in every corner of the world in their soul. And if you were to say, yo, but what about Big? They just stare at you. Yeah, dude. I mean. Like, they just stare at you. Yeah. Because they're like, for me, an MC, someone who was an MC. Of course, like it was like, who's the greatest MC of all time? I'm be like, yo, Big is arguably the greatest MC of all time because he's the last MC that came up through the underground and transitioned to mainstream and transitioned to the mainstream. The and when he transitioned, era, basically, he yes. ushered in the Jiggy era. But when he transitioned to the mainstream in the Jiggy era, he was still the most lyrical. Yeah, still eat your ass up on a battle record. Subliminal yeah. disses and galore. And everybody on the underground still respected, respected him, him. Yeah. 
as they did any ill underground MC, yeah. even though he was the dude with the shiny. He was the dude with the um yeah, with the like same kid with the, with the, the, Bush the, the shiny suit. Twelve inch had fucking life after death and knocked it. You know, like the, yeah, it was, he was respected all around. That's never gonna happen again. Who do you think you know? after him? Do you think anybody after him had? Well, I guess Nas and Jake. Oh, Jake came after him. Do you think there's anybody after him that has even come close to bearing that resemblance in in what you're talking about of coming up? No, the because respected? because because. Everything was broken after '97. Yeah, that's true, because he brought in the jiggy air. He brought in the yeah. He basically brought in the model of how to make, uh, you know, crossover appeal hip hop and shit. Yeah, but the thing is that you gotta remember after '97, the entire industry broke because, uh, following the Telecom Act of '96 signing, um, God, the smart. fallout, the fallout from '97 was that the industry broke. So you had the mainstream rap industry, and then you had the underground. And as 1997 went, you had, you're growing, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. And then all of a sudden, bam, like, uh, you have uh, Fun Crusher Plus comes out yeah. from... Um, CoFlow. From CoFlow. But Co then after that, after Co Fun Crusher Plus comes out, you have fucking Atmosphere drops yeah, overcast. Yeah, Lounge, and Nonfiction's putting out 12 inches and... Yeah. Yeah. And then like you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, and then all of a sudden it's like um Latirix puts out Latirix the album, you know? And then like you keep going, it's like there are these underground albums that are coming out that are breaking the ground and it's just like, all right, we don't need you guys up there anymore. We have our shit. We like we have our new classics. And we don't have to do any bullshit. We don't have to you know Yes. Uh, assimilate we don't have to change up. and we don't have to assimilate we don't even have to we don't even have to listen to the fucking radio because the underground radio kids to just tune that shit out i mean i did that i never i stopped yeah. altogether we had our own record stores we could go to fat beast in boston we could go to um biscuit head you know we could go to like looney tunes like and uh, skippy looney tunes skippy whites like all these places that we could go and um we would go to Newberry Comics oh, and, yeah. and go to the section. Oh, uh, I worked the Tower Records, and we go across the street. To, we had all these different yeah, spots, nuggets. Now, basically, all the records. Those satellite about, records. Most of them were in a very small proximity. You could make the rounds on, yeah. a, on a day and yeah. just hit them all. You could, you'd run into the entire Boston hip-hop community yeah, you go up the on an average head, day. You'd see like all these Everybody. dudes you know, that you were buying like, sets and vinyl. I tell people. I used to hide records from Fax One and Eden <laughs> back when I was working at Tower Records because I knew I didn't have my I didn't have any money. Yeah, and I knew they would buy them before me. <laughs> yeah, so I would hide them and I would get my advance because you got paid every two weeks. So you could go, you could get a hundred dollar advance on your next check, and then I would get my advance, and then I would go and I would buy the records that I hid from Eden. When I first, when I was first introduced to Eden, it was hilarious because um, Shaka. Who ran Sun Moon Records and later like managed Electric Electric Company, and um on his label, uh, which is like Mo Pope was in Electric yeah, Company back in Mo. the day. Shit, man, dude, I remember like opening for Electric Company some of my first shits before I even yeah. put out music. Yeah, so um, the first time I met him, Shaka introduced me. He was like, "Yo, this is my boy Eden," and I looked at him. I was like, "It's you!" Like that's the dude I've been hiding records from. So it was fucking hilarious. And then he told me he had a single. He had a single coming out on um, Biscuit Head. I was like, wait, what? The E's have it and sing it shit face. Boston, um, it, was, it was like pretty comforting and a bit of a blessing. Boston had such a 
um, a thriving underground music scene in, and not just even hip hop. I mean, there's like rich history in the hardcore scene and rock. Oh yeah, scene, like shit I'm just not music in with, general. But it, it was great for me at least. The hip hop underground scene was great, and there was obviously bigger artists that I was fans of from all over. But to live in a city where I could go get into a club as an underage kid or even as an 18 year old and older and see like like a whole set a uh, whole like list of, of dope local artists having their own sets with no out of town headliner and it'd be packed and it would dope and want to go buy that dude's vinyl or tape and shit it was fun it was dope it gives you like inspiration it gives you hope and it's just also cool. oh, yeah you know it was in that then i would travel other some of those cities where i had friends and they were up on the same kind of shit, and they'd be like having the new Seven Seven Hell and Eso record, or the new Live shit, or whatever. You know, it was cool that it was it was traveling too. It wasn't just at home, but it was thriving at home. And then, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, things happen, internet's happen, change things, change and shit. And it kind of like obviously the the era I was putting out music in, it was you know it was dope, great artists and shit, but it wasn't like that late nineties, early thousands shit, that indie shit. Um, it was such a fucking... I, all the artists at that time, I feel like, weren't trying to achieve anything other than just putting out the shit they exactly wanted to put out. And it was like we were saying, like, they were tuning out the other shit. They were just keeping in that world. And then, you know, a lot of artists, when I was putting out music, kind of, and probably myself included, we, we had aspirations of even more. So the sonic quality of the music reflected that. You know, the, 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 the rollout of your projects, the approach to things. So that kind of just changed shit, you know? Yeah. Like there was, it was, it was an interesting era because when things transitioned, it was interesting because there were acts that got the coverage because, you know, they got the coverage and people thought they were easy, easier to sell. And then there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people that were resentful of who got the looks like the, that whole wave of, we had acrobatic, Mr. Lift, 7L and Esoteric. You have virtuoso, you know. You have uh, schizophrenics, um, like Insight. Um, yes. Again, electric, electric company. Um, uh, eventually, you had Audible Mainframe, yeah, the Rex. band. Yeah, you had Rex, Lucky Dice. Um, then later on, you had Street, which is um, terminology and. Um, Ed Rock, aka Easy Money. What up, Easy? Um, so it's like you had, you had, uh, you had all these guys. Then of course, of course, you had MBS later, and then I Rock and John Doe. So it was like the. Then you had the Slains come up. This is the Commonwealth Records era, right? You have like Slain come up, and like Smoke Smoke Bulger, and it was just like uh. The Dre Robinsons, and like we had this whole era where there was a wave, and it's like you saw who was getting looks and who wasn't getting looks, and who was getting like media attention. Uh, Lou Armstrong and the Hitmakers, and you know a lot of it wasn't really sustainable because people weren't moving. We didn't have the industry there. We didn't know how to get to them. The internet changed everything, so people didn't know how to work with it. Yeah, because yeah, we know what was going on. Of it too. It's always, it's always like guinea pigs for the people who are using yeah. it first. You know. How do you use MySpace to sell records, yeah. to gain an audience? What does it mean that I have this many plays on MySpace? Does this are people buying the record 
do I, I have to use a snow cap store? Do people know what the fuck a snow cap a snow cap store is? How do they when you buy their music on a snow cap store? How did they getting it? Is it MP3s? Like does it is it can you put it on the iTunes? So it was like there was a whole lot of shit going on, new stuff that no one knew what the hell to do. I remember when the iTunes store was new and nobody knew how to buy anything. Besides beside singles, they didn't understand how to get albums, and then they didn't know that you could switch between different countries and buy stuff from the the, the UK iTunes store or the Japanese one, and you just had to just the conversion rate was different. Like there was a whole it was it's a it was a, just a time where people were guinea pigs and we didn't know what the fuck was going on. It was just really confusing. It is, and it's it's just you know where where it's at now. A lot of the artists who got to benefit from it, um, you know, got to work out the kinks before. Doing their shit and and you know with some of the artists who had to deal with the the internet earlier stages of of music put out it was tougher you know and it was probably harder to navigate and shit and so it's like the the concept of timing comes into effect and you know oh, yeah. you can't control that shit no matter how talented you are no matter what connections you have that's just one of those things that's out of your hands and you know you you move an artist's career a year ahead or a year back and everything could have been different perfect example Fifi Dobson. It's Ooh. the Fifi, it's Fifi, exactly. Fifi Dobson could have been Rihanna, but she came out too early. Like Fifi Dobson should have been what what Rihanna is now. Fifi Dobson should have been first, but she came out too soon. She came out too early. She was from the Bean. Huh? No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. She she was actually um she was actually a singer, but she was from Canada. And she really should she she could have been like big in so many more spaces, but it just never happened for her because she came out too soon when when the industry wasn't really ready for her. Yeah. Like Rihanna came out the perfect time. It's also other other people ready, right? Have the have yeah. the have the masses, have the fans been conditioned enough to to like a certain aesthetic or have they been conditioned to like a certain aesthetic so much that they're ready for a breath of fresh air like i mean you could look at the, like even the fucking politics and see that like the way trump won an election uh, could he have won that four years ago eight years ago things like that you know yeah it's all this timing it's all not only where the pendulum is swinging with the specific music genre and culture but where the whole culture is moving is is, is like a society yeah and where yeah. people's heads are at i mean music that was popular you know in the 60s and 70s during the height of like civil rights and, and vietnam war and things like that you didn't really hear that shit in the 70s and 80s because that shit wasn't going on and disco and cocaine was going on and you know what i mean there's like yeah. different times call for different things and so it's like it's a tough to be an artist that it, like public enemy do you think public enemy would have been popping if they came out in 2006 you no, know it's it's, absolutely it's, not. A, it's a thing that it's a tricky one man and then i don't know yeah. you know is i got a couple of people asking me like on the social media interwebs if i was going to do like a a year-end wrap-up podcast or like wanted to hear my input on <laughs> rap shit in particular which you know my podcast is more than that and I don't know if people, I don't think you want to hear that because, like, I don't know, man. I'm not really, I don't really, I don't know. I don't want to be like that negative-ass, hatery dude on my thing. And I don't know how much I have to say about shit like that. And I, I couldn't mean, even talk about that anyway yeah, because I, was, I don't I fucking like, pay you know, attention to Darn it. Adams isn't writing a fucking year-end wrap-up article, you know? Well, also, no, nah, because who pay me? Like, <laughs> <clears throat> like, seriously, like, I always, like, I, okay, perfect example. In front of me, I have 
and I'm always writing. I have a list just in case a list of like uh, my 50 top rap and non rap because I hate the R&B list because I listen to more than just fucking R&B. I like my rap and non-rap albums of 2017 and it's just there. Yeah. Because I'm like no one's going to if someone p- says yo I want to pay you to do it, I'll I'll post it. But if not, that shit might just go up on Medium on January 4th, mm. 2018 because just to do it. Yeah, it's like but a like record. You record yeah. songs sometimes just to record them and you never know yeah. where they're going to go. Yeah. Because it's like, when you do writing, is labor at the end of the day. It's labor. It's There's work that you did. It came out of your brain. You, you wrote it. It's something you did. But if you're not going to be compensated for it, then why let it go for free? Unless you absolutely just, fuck it, I'm just going to write it. And I'm going to get paid for something else. And then, like, but like, perfect example. The piece I want to do. Recently, um, I watched this series, uh, by Robert Kirkman called the um the Real History of Comic Books. Oh shit! And it had it was on AMC. Ah, and it had six it had six episodes. And one of the things that got me about seeing the six episodes is that it never talked about independent comic book companies, which something we were talking about on Twitter. We were like, wait a minute. Like, you're going to talk about, like, the women and the, the guy and the women who created fucking Wonder Woman. Going to talk about the fight for um for Superman, which is an incredible story. Then you're going to talk about the guys who made Marvel, which is a great story. Talked about the guys who created Milestone, you know, in 19... Like, Milestone Comics for DC, which was, again, an incredible story. But another major story that you have to tell is about the indies the yeah, indie comic image, book companies dark horse and valiant dude yeah like for me it all comes down to first eternity malibu eclipse yeah. now viz comico valiant dark horse you know valiant even before shit. even before like wild um wild storm and um and image because they did tell that story oh they, did. they told okay. the image they told the image of Wildstorm story that's cool because that was a huge thing that it's happened. because basically all the best illustrators and writers defected from the big uh, comic book companies and started their own shit and got to yeah. re- create their own characters. Yeah. Yeah. So it was huge. Historical. It was huge. It was yeah. huge. Because those were the guys that we were reading yeah, the books my, for my in the early 90s. illustrators and writers got to be like, you know what? I'm going to create my own character instead of writing and drawing for these characters that have existed for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. So it was nuts. But like to not tell the story of like, First comics who had shit like Grim Jack, you know, like to not talk about comic book companies who had like books like American Flag, you know what I'm saying? Dude, like, yo, Dart is, dude, yo, you guys, listen, man, never go at Dart Adams about anything. He doesn't just have like a vast knowledge of music and rap. I mean, dude, fucking comic books, anything, dude. He, you will, you will think you're pulling some shit out deep from the vault, and this motherfucker got a vault buried underneath the vault. Like, you will never uh, unearth shit more than this dude. Like, he, I didn't even know those last two, and I have a gazillion comic books in my grandma's attic. From- yeah, well, I mean, the also like I, I have the fucking memory thing. So you don't those of you good call. no no I've never smoked in my life I've never smoked or drank smart. in my life. Is a, an anomaly. So um, for anybody who has no idea, 
I have this thing where um, I have this recall, weird recall gift where I remember basically, I guess, between 80 to 85 percent of everything that happened from when I started reading. And I started reading somewhere around somewhere between 24 and 30 months into my life. So that's when my memories start. So I remember whole days of like kindergarten. I remember kindergarten two in its entirety. I remember sitting. I remember for whole days of second grade. I remember doing um, workbooks in second grade with phonics and saying to myself, I can't wait till I never have to do this shit again. I remember declamation from fourth grade. Like I remember fucking reading album covers from 1983. You know, I remember the first time I heard certain songs in 1986 so it's like when people, when you, people I don't write remember pe- last week, I don't know how you know that. Yeah. well, see, see, that's 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 uh that's the drawback. I can remember all these type of things, but like I didn't know where the black pepper was in my own kitchen. I found it. No, dead ass. I found it last week. I was like, oh shit, that's where it was. Like I'll do. Like I'll. I'm I'm one of these people that I can remember something that happened in 1991. I, I, the day album dropped, like ni- 1991, of me hearing a song on the radio from WRBB from 1987, but I won't remember if I locked the door when I left the house. Oh, that's that would drive me fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, that's why I'm so organized because I can't it, like the way my brain works. I have to keep organized so I don't have to worry about certain things. So every like all the fucking every fucking s- source magazine that i had from when i stole them back in 1992 i have them in boxes i know where they are i have them in order you know i know where everything is because if something and i know when something's missing like i know when my brother comes over and he takes records i know what records are missing from my you crate know, how annoying is it when people fuck up the organization of your records my i got friends that come over and do that to me it drives me fucking nuts and i gotta take everything out and lay it all on the floor and organize it again. Dude, it's it's a fucking task, man. Especially for me, because I'll know I was like, yo, I I have a company I have a company flow record missing and I have a um I have a beat nuts record missing. I was like, where the fuck no, are they? Yeah. So it was like I, I t- or, text my brother. Or you put like, them back in a different place and you can't fucking ever find it. That's no, the no, worst. no, 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 no. That's the thing. Because I go through all the other stuff to make sure it's not in the right place. <laughs> You know, so I know it's like, yo, you got this and this? Like, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, all right. I was like, yeah. He's like, he's like, dude, I only took it like fucking eight hours ago. How the fuck did you know? How the fuck did you notice? Know you know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, this is how it is with me. Like, if you were to go in my room and remove a book of all the books I have, I'd know that book was missing. Yeah, I'm the same way with my books too, because I keep them in exactly the same place. DVDs, everything, and nobody fucking even uses DVDs anymore. I got a gang of them right now, still. I like. Yep, I I have like a I have like a, a, a what do you call it a shelf, a shelf, and it's just like DVDs side by side, and it's funny because I have really no place to play them because I made sure my brother got me a um a MacBook that still has a drive. Yeah. So I can still play like DVDs and CDs on it. And but but no one else has one. <laughs> I I have like I have a DVD player I still rock occasionally, 
Um, but you know, my MacBook does not. So you know, somebody gave me a CD recently. I'm like, well, shit, I'm gonna have to play that in the whip. And I was like, does my <laughs> it does? But that's the literally the only place I'll be able to play it. It was it was impressive that someone gave me. I mean, they gave it to me. I wasn't gonna pay for that shit. But fuck, dude, like when I, yeah, I was like, fuck, the only place I can play it is in the car. It's uh, it's wild that we've like. I mean, I've fully adapted. Like I used to try to go against the grain of technology, being a grumpy old man. And then I realized mm-hmm. it's so much nicer and easier if I just get down with some shit. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I stream the shit out of shit. I mean, I, I have an iPod, not an iPhone. I have an iPod with a ton of music on it. So if I'm in a place where there's no internet, no Wi-Fi, I've got a gang of dope music and playlists and shit as a backup. But, I mean, I use SoundCloud and Spotify and YouTube and all this shit to listen to stuff. I have vinyl. I still buy vinyl. But it's not mm-hmm. new shit. I'm usually collecting shit I've always wanted or my favorite albums and songs. And yeah. Shit. See, it's weird for me because um, I don't use any streaming services. Um, I, I have iTunes and I God put music God into God. iTunes. I put so music into stream, iTunes. I don't so, stream anything. So I don't do you, stream as anything. As a guy who's a writer and a journalist for music, how do you listen to all this new shit? You actually purchase all this shit. People give me everything, okay, damn so near. Getting, but like, I still music. do purchase music. But I mean, I still like, do it, buy music. You wouldn't purchase but, shit that you might have to write about. Shit, just well, well, yeah. On, but right? I have. But the thing is that I have. I get so much music that it's ridiculous. Like, damn. What's the best way to describe it? Okay. In front of me, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, six, um, thumb drives. They're all the smallest is 16 gigabytes and the largest is 64. And all of these are pretty much full. And I bought these mostly this year to give you an idea of how much music too much. I get. So like if I was like if I was to open my iTunes and I would just like read to you like basically fuck it, I'll just do it. Um where is it? iTunes. Do, 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 There's a lot of stuff that people send me that I just play in VLC because I don't want to add it to my iTunes because I don't know if I'm going to keep it there. But, um, so yeah, if I pull you, up... Do you rock iTunes? Like, that's your main go-to? Yeah. It's, that's pretty much where I put on my music. It's like, I don't stream anything, but I don't have, like... It's weird because I get music and then I put it into iTunes versus I'm like, yo, I tell my brother, yo, this new thing new things out but we have an itunes family thing but i don't use it <laughs> so he's like yeah I, I know i have the we have itunes family thing you could uh, i'm like yo things um someone's album just came out he's like yeah i know so okay the last albums that i have are um conway goat grimiest of all times yeah, static select the eight static select the eight um spender and grubby paws steel sharp and steel miguel um war and leisure Benny and Green Lantern, Butcher on Steroids, Vaughn P and the other guys, The Fiasco, Oh No versus Now Again 3, GQ, East 14th, um, Todd Libquelli, Radio Silence, No Worries, The Yes Lord Remixes, MED, Blue and Mad Lib to Turn Up, Jaden Smith Sire, which is Whoa, better than I J- thought it was. Jaden Smith record? Yeah, it's better than I thought it was. Um, Matt Comey and Earl Sweatshirt, Fetid Moore, um, uh, Oh, uh, God. Earl Sweatshirt produced it, or he raps on it. Yeah, he produced it. Dude, I think he's on the song. Mac Homie's yeah. dope, dude, and, and Earl yeah. Sweatshirt's the shit. So, wow, God, I, got, I didn't even know that existed. Rose Gold, Rose Spit, and 14KT, Panama Plus, which is one of my favorite albums this year. Fly Anakin, Concept Jackson, and Twami. 
Armin Hammer, um, Rome, Maji Jordan, um, The Space Between, Night Palm, Needle Paul, which I love, Division, Morning After, Mayhem Loren and DJ Muggs, Gems from the Equinox, Kalela, Take Me Apart, Wu-Tang, The Saga Continues, I'm kind of here or there on that, Slain the Terminology, Antihero, um, Cunning Linguist, Rose Azura Nyano, um, Fucking Master Killer, Loyalty is Royalty, The Do Rights, Greasy Listening, Apathy and OC, Perestroika, Rhapsody, Layla's Wisdom, uh, Nolan and Ninja Yen, Jet Age of Tomorrow, God's Poop of Clouds, um, Fly Anakin, People Like Us, Fly Anakin and Concept Jackson, um, Chapel Drive, Open Mike Eagle, Brick Body Kids Still Daydream, ST The Squad, Self-Titled, Mac Homie, Dump Meister, The God Fahim, Dump Goat, uh, Kev Brown and Hassan um, Mackie, That Grit, Saunder, Wiki, No Mountains in Manhattan, uh, Daniel Caesar, Freudian, Action Bronson's Blue Chip 7000, Apollo Brown and Planet Asia Anchovies, Easy Money and Billy Loman, Fly Lansky, Rashawn Manor, Sean Price, um, Imperious Rex, Tanya Morgan, You Get What You Pay For, Vic Mensa, The Autobiography, um, Marco Polo, um, Baker's Dozen, Sky Zoo, um, Peddler Themes, The Alchemist and Budgie, Good Book, Volume 2, Miramasa, Polly C's Sounds of Crenshaw, Volume 1, Tyler the Creator's Come Fuck Flower Boy, uh, Toro Imoa, Boo Boo, and Two Shabazz Palaces albums, Calvin Harris's Funk Wave um, Bounces. Vince yeah. Staples, Big Ship, the- um, Big Fish Theory, Scissor Control, Buddy and Catronada, Ocean and Montana, Willie the Kid, Dreach Marks, Matt Comey, um, HBO, Haitian Body Order, uh, Jameson, Whatever Makes You Happy, The Godfahim and Camouflage Monk, Iron Monkey, Cesar Face, First Weapon Drawn, Mac Wilds, After Hours, Little Dragon, dude, Season dude, High. Dar, dar, dar. This is an insane list of music, and it's still good. Yeah. This is all from this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm, dude. yeah, I'm still scrolling because insane. um, you're insane, dude. Sanfa Kailani, uh, Skid, Oh No, and Tri-State, uh, Gabriel Garzon Montano, Sir Quelle Chris, um, John Wayne, Westside Gun, Kingdom, Rock Marciano, uh, Thundercat, Odyssey, Kareem Riggins, Ronald Bruner Jr., another Westside Gun album, Your Drew Pax. Uh, Drake more life. Um, I I think that's the last thing. That's the last thing I have. That's hilarious. That that's the last one. That's a but dude, like you just rambled off a uh, so much. Like since I've stopped producing music, I listen very selectively to shit. I listen to old shit and I listen to the new shit that I like. And I just don't go. I mean, I I, I definitely peep a lot of new shit of all genres, but like I I just that's so much shit to take in, dude. I don't know how you digest that, man. It's for me okay. Like I don't really, I don't really sleep, you know. So it's like people like I don't know how you. Yeah, like I don't know how you listen to all this stuff. I was like, well, for me, it's like I, it's all in a day because, um. What oh, they're coming oh, yeah. for me, Dar. Do you hear the sirens? <laughs> coming for damaged goods. I knew this was going to happen. What it's just my happened? Podcast was called Russian Souvenirs. It's the government. That was hilarious. No, um, maybe they what, what just what just came out? Oh oh um Black Mirror the new season of Black Mirror, it came on um it went live at three a.m. Eastern. I watched all the episodes by like the morning. And you didn't even do any cocaine or drink coffee. Do you at least drink no. coffee? Okay, his was funny, right? I never, I never, I never drank coffee. Um, my mom even passed away. Coffee. Well, well, here's the thing. My mom passed away. Oh, and um she passed away summer uh summer 2000 August 2016 and my mom Jeez, always sorry, had dude. coffee I didn't even know that my, my yeah. late well yeah she sorry. yeah she passed of um cervical cancer but she always had coffee so in my apartment uh, I had all this fucking coffee 
and I don't like I like I really don't drink coffee. But like when it got cold and shit like that, mm-hmm. I was like, yo, I have all this fucking coffee, and it's just fucking here, and it's like, fuck it. So I drank I drink coffee occasionally. Just because, like, my mom had so much and it's just here. And I'm just like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to yeah. waste it. So it's like I recently started drinking coffee. But I don't drink it. The wagon. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't drink it like, you know, people in the morning. It's like, yo, I have to have my yeah, morning yeah, coffee. Yeah, yeah. I drink coffee like I drink fucking a Sprite. You know what I'm saying? And I don't even drink soda like that anymore. So it's like I drink it like it's just like a beverage. A warm fucking beverage. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it's like, but I don't drink coffee to stay awake. Oh, see. You know? If, if I go sober ever, I'm going to end up becoming like a coffee maniac. I mean, I do drink coffee, but not all the time. But I will probably be crushing coffee like all yeah. the time. That'll be my, my thing, my go-to. Yeah, like my vice, my vices are like fucking information and, and media <laughs> and like uh, reading, reading. Yeah. Watching film, my vice reading, reading, watching and film, acquiring knowledge, listening, Dude, you're the best. The they're listening to music, shit like that. That's my, that's my fucking drug. My vice is eating healthy and working out. Like, dude, like you couldn't have a better vice. Reading and acquiring knowledge, dude. My vices, I don't like, are like fucking get me arrested, give me federal <laughs> sentences. <laughs> like, you've got a great vice, my friend. Yo, you inspired me to ask a question that I've never thought of asking anybody before. You just inspired me, and what better man to ask than you? Let's try to like think about this on the spot, on your fucking toes, because you are Dart Adams and you throw darts. What is the best, and I'm going to mispronounce this fucking word, what is the best posthumous rap album ever? Posthumous means uh, you died and it came out after your death. What is the best rap album like that? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Big L, The Big Picture. Mm, wow, what a great call. What a yeah, great call. But the reason why I have to go with um, Big L, The Big Picture is because it kind of laid the groundwork and the foundation for greatness in a posthumous rap album. Um, uh, because usually when people did a post, uh, posthumous rap album, it was an album that was made while the person was alive, mm. and they just didn't release it yet. Yeah. Like Biggie's Life Biggie's um, Life After Death is technically is technically a posthumous album, yeah, right? He, he, Same I thing with like ready to go though. It yeah, was like Illuminati. The Illuminati, um, the Seven yeah. Day Theory, that was, technically is a posthumous album, but, but Pop made it while he was too. alive. Yeah. It was ready to go while yeah. he was alive. Now, if we're talking about an album that's made while the artist is no longer living, we have his material or her material, and we need to make an album out of it, then mm-hmm. definitely my call, call is Big L, the Big Picture, and, and because oh, DJ Premier, DJ Premier. And everybody at Rockets did a fucking amazing job with they that. They really record. did. They really did. And you know, as a, as a big L fan myself, and I do love the uh, lifestyles of the poor and dangerous, but it uh, the big picture is a better album. Even though, oh, absolutely. It, it, like you said, it was kind of like put together after his death. It is a better album that, but like he's such a he was such a talent, right? And not that the first album wasn't good. It's, it's the shit, but this album better showcased why he was such a fucking talent, why he was influential on dudes like Jay-Z and so many others, why he is revered by so many, you know? And uh, the beats were fucking ridiculous. A lot of people came together for that. Um, I don't know. It was something pretty... And I think it sparked an interest. Yeah. A lot of people getting that. The DITC album came like a year or two after that. And, yeah. Uh, 
it, a lot of people went back and got into all the old DITC 12 inches and singles and, and going and checking out some Diamond yeah. D shit or some Show and A shit or whatever it was, Laura Finesse albums. And, uh, you know, then people would go and find the freestyles with uh, Big L and Jay back in the day and shit. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a great album and it was uh, impacted me a lot just personally as a, as a younger dude, like starting to aspire to write rhymes and shit. After that, I got to go with um, a combination of... Um Dilla, Donuts, and um, damn, what was the other album he put out? Um, after that, uh, shit, J Loves Japan was it? No, I don't think. Wait, maybe it was, but um, the two albums that J did um that Dilla put out immediately after he passed away. There was the one album that he did, Donuts, of course. Then there was the album that Kareem Riggins finished, um, The Shining. The Shining is what I'm thinking of. Dude, so I have to go with that. I have to go with that. find a dude that's got this fucking just shit sitting in his brain on tap. Not, Dart is like a uh, a microbrewery of music and rap knowledge. You want What do you want? This weird like wheat ale? He hits the tap button of some rap knowledge. You know what I'm saying? They're just all sitting there on tap. I fucking his was weird. His was weird, though, about um about it. Um, I was on OK Player right when it um the promo version came out for um the shining and the promo version of the shining was made for media and it used audio from the movie the shining as sound beds underneath the music mm. so you couldn't like pass it off as the actual album so it seems from so while you're listening to like songs like um um gone too far or whatever there's audio from the fucking shining underneath the fucking song and the shit matches it's bananas it's so it's so incredible on its own as the promo that i kept the promo on my um i used to have a uh ipod touch no 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 my bad i didn't have a touch yet i had um i had an ipod first i had an ipod nano and then like i had a like regular ipod and I kept that on my iPod, the first my iPod Nano. I had it on my iPod Nano as the promo. Even when I got the the version, the the sale the sale version, the uh, I kept the uh, the original promo version because I I got so used to it because I'd been hearing it for like months. So I always associate that when I first heard that album, and it's nuts to this day that like I've heard the promo version. For the, the Shining, movie. more than I've heard the actual, the real one. The, the Shining, the movie was the first time I, I ate mushrooms. I was like, uh, I was like fourteen, and uh, I ate mushrooms with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, some other homies. And it, it, you know, like, The Shining's an intense ass movie. And when you're on mushrooms and you're fourteen, it's also your first time on mushrooms. It's a very intense fucking movie. That is a terrifying fucking movie. Let me tell you something that's nuts. Um. When I was senior year of high school, we did an exchange program with Vermont Academy. I was going to English High, Boston English High. We would, uh, Massachusetts. Yep. yep. So we were, um, we were the Massachusetts champion, mock trial debate champions. And we did this, uh, program, of course, with Vermont Academy, the famous Vermont Academy. And, um, so we're hanging out. Everybody in Vermont Academy lives on campus, the school is a campus. Boarding so school. it's like a, it's a boarding school. It's a, it's a boarding school. So you live with families and you have your own house and shit like that. 
And so I'm hanging out with these guys, and this is a fucking, like, a trip for me because, like, there's a bunch of, like, white kids or whatever, and they're just hanging out. But they do mushrooms, and they say, yo, you want to watch this movie with us? And I'm like, um, okay. So it's like, it's a cartoon. It's kind of trippy. I'm like, all right, whatever. So they put it on, and it's fucking, um, the fucking, um, Savage Planet. Oh, shit. And, um... They put this, and they put this shit on. Now I'm don't do drugs, but this movie is fucking freaky enough on its yeah, own. You don't need no fucking drugs. Fantastic Planet, Fantastic Planet, and this movie is if you've ever seen Fantastic Planet, it's trippy enough on its own without doing any type of drugs. But everybody else in the room, but me, is high as fuck on mushrooms. And there's this one kid who's just sitting in the corner of the room staring at a guitar. It was just a fuck. It was just weird as shit, man. But like after I saw that shit, it was like, yo, I have to see. I have to have this movie. And I like. I remember going back home to Boston. And I remember being like, yo, I need to have this on VHS because the music was bananas. Yo, I mean, you can find so much dope music in movies too. Like I just, I just found vinyl of a uh, Tangerine Dreams soundtrack to the movie The Thief with a. Uh, oh his wow! Name? I his name. Fucking blanking on the fucking dude's name. He's got a kid, Scott Con, uh, Michael, James Con. James Con is in this classic late 70s, 80s Scott movie, Con's The Thief. Scott Con's dad. What? Yeah, Scott, Scott Con's, Con's dad. dad. Yeah, thank you. And uh, the band Tangerine Dream does a soundtrack, and they're dope as fuck anyway, but the soundtrack to that movie is retarded. I'm trying to find it on vinyl, and I finally did a couple weeks ago in L.A., and it's fucking, I just, oh, God, it's sick. I'm surprised that shit hasn't been sampled more. Uh, or yeah. I don't even know if it's been sampled at all. But There's a lot of, there's a lot of movie soundtracks that, like, um... I'm surprised. There's the steel drum music that plays in the movie Commando. (laughs) Comes in here and there. Dude, I I love that. And when I was young, I used to always tell all my boys, make a beat out of this. And they'd be like, yo, you can't. It's just just not going to work. I just love those steel drums. I'm a sucker for steel drums. And it comes in so dope in that movie. Yeah, me and my brother used to do it all the time. We used to have, we had two VCRs in our room. And that's where all the recording equipment was, and that's where it was just was. Yeah, so we used to. So when we want to sample something, I used to take a a recorder and I had like a tape in it, and I would record shit straight from the VCRs or straight from the TV, and I would hand it to him, and he put it on like, and he patch it through the um the EPS or the ASR, and he would sample it that way. So a lot of times, like we'd be watching. Again, I've told the story, but um, back in the days, there was a channel called the International Channel. And it was the International Channel, but basically what it was, it was a bunch of um, Asian television networks that that played shit from the Philippines, Korea, um, Japan, and China all day long. And a lot of times that, in, that was TV shows that sometimes had subtitles that were done in Hawaii. Or was just straight anime that didn't have subtitles at all that you had to watch in your you just had to watch in Japanese and, and wonder what the fuck was yeah, going on. It's kind of like a fun aspect that I've done that with with uh, like you know TV and movies in other countries where you really don't have a choice, but maybe you're a little high and you're zoned out. And you're kind of just watching the energy, watching the story play out, assuming you know what's going on. It's yeah. It's mystery. Yeah, but it's funny because we've always realized that yo, we would kind of had the story right, even though we didn't know. And um, there was a show that used to come out of Seattle. It was called Music Video Heaven, and it used to play Korean videos. It was um uh, American presenters, Korean American presenters, and they would play all the hottest shit coming out of Korea. 
and a music countdown. And the show ran for like 18 months or something like that. And my brother and I used to record it. <laughs> we used to record it every week. So I have videotapes. Stay up on your fresh Korean pop music just to know yeah, it all. I, I, have a, I have fucking videotapes full of fucking like Korean pop videos and like rap videos and shit from like 2000 to 2002. And I have a fucking encyclopedic knowledge of fucking of like of that whole era of music. It's really fucking dude, weird. What do you not do? This dude Dart just knows everything. Well, I hate to well, go against you in Jeopardy. It's horrible. But the another reason why I knew this shit is I tell the people this and they just stare at me. Dude, we're gonna, I'm going to pull up Billy Hoyle and I'm going to get your ass on Jeopardy. What is a quince? I'm going to get you on that. <laughs> Yo, Dart, where can, where can these cats peep any of your writing that's whether it's new or slightly old? Uh, so basically what you have to do is you go to my um, my Medium. And on my Medium, there's a post called... um. Damn, what's it called? Um, I'm I'm something for these times or whatever. Um, it's the name of a fucking uh, the beat the beast the Beach Boy song. Um, I I wasn't made for these times. Okay. There's a post that I did. I'm not made for these times. If you read that post and get down to the bottom of it, it's links to everything I ever wrote online. <laughs> Everything I ever wrote, every blog, every site, every place that I, uh, every place that I authored, everything, all the links right there. You so got, basically, my entire twelve-year career. You guys still got like new pieces coming out on any blogs or websites right now? Or no, you were just doing my, Mass Appeal, but that's done right now. My last piece, my thirty-second piece for Mass Appeal is finished. I'm a free agent as of uh, December twenty-second. I'm gonna have to hire you for like damaged goods entertainment fucking journalist magazine when I start doing one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, dude, you can Google on all these dude darts rolling for all these things, man. You just Google his fucking name, follow him on the interwebs if you wanna uh receive knowledge yet also get to witness like righteous combative uh intelligence at work. It's it's fun, it's entertaining, and it, it'll learn you something, man. Yo, Dart, thank you so much for allowing the powers of technology to bring you and I together from two different states. If you can't tell listeners like, we're uh Skyping Skyping this shit, dude. I'm in Cali, he's in fucking Boston. And uh yep. we did it, dude. It's you're the man, Dart. You're not gonna freeze to death when I get off the phone. Don't go out of the house, dude. It's cold. Oh no, I've done I've done enough of that. Oh, I've done enough of that. Plus, I came in. I came in. I came in right before we did this. How I'm not going back. How many layers you wearing right now? Uh, two. Two. That's it. Oh, dude, you're nice. Two. I've got my two. shoes are off right now. It's fucking hot. It was 78 degrees today. So, you know. Uh, but I'm, if, if there's any condolence, I'm turning into a pussy because I'm not around the fucking snow. Mark <laughs> Adams, ladies and gentlemen, he will never be a pussy. His heart is cold. <laughs>